So before this episode starts, I actually want to address last week. Um, last week we didn't upload, uh, mostly because I spent all nighters studying for the math assessment. But uh, that's about it. So I hope you enjoy our episode. So you know about black holes, right? The universe may have more ways of forging elements than we'd previously thought. The creation of some metals like gold, silver, thorium, or uranium, which is very calorie dense according to the meme, need energetic conditions. Or you can just say a really high pressure environment like a supernova explosion or a collision between neutron stars themselves. These elements could also form in the swirling chaos that rings around an active newborn black hole as recently discovered, as it swallows dust and gas from the space around it too. But in these extreme environments, there's also a high emission rate of neutrinos, which would allow for the conversion of protons to neutrons, resulting in a very large amount of the latter required for the process to create heavier elements. The disks that circle the black hole, which is actually very rich in neutrons, as long as other conditions are met. After the Big Bang, there weren't many elements floating around until stars arrived, and then they started smashing together atomic nuclei in the cores of the star. At this time, the universe was nothing but a soup of mostly hydrogen and helium. Stellar nuclear fission filled the cosmos with heavier elements from carbon all the way up to gold. And this gold's been forming quite a lot too. Imagine what we could do if we could harvest it. Very recently, there was an antibody breakthrough in mice, and surprisingly enough, it could lead to a vaccination for Alzheimer's. AD, or Alzheimer's disease, is the most common cause of dementia in the world at the moment, impacting almost 44 million miserable lives all over the world. In some areas, those numbers could triple in the next 50 years or so. Well, so would the population anyway. Scientists are currently trying to find out ways to protect our aging populations. Recently, a novel method for AD against mice was actually successful. It feels pretty awesome covering it on the podcast. Well, obviously we don't know if the vaccine has been shown to successfully vaccinate humans against the disease or if it's even effective, but the results do look more promising than any other previous attempt. The authors are now calling the commercial partners to research further into the cure. It opens up the possibility too to treat Alzheimer's once symptoms appear, and maybe in people who can get vaccinated pre-Alzheimer's. One hallmark of the Alzheimer's disease are the plagues of amyloid beta proteins. They're found in the brains of about two-thirds of all diagnosed patients post-mortem. Amyloid beta proteins on their own aren't exactly quote-unquote bad for your brain. It's actually pretty important for your brain, but some can grow toxic and lead to neurodegeneration. This vaccine targets only the toxic ones, and it should be able to cure Alzheimer's. Also, I want to mention in the middle of the episode that there is an Omicron virus going around. You know, our goal with the whole Mind Blown podcast was to talk about a lot of things science-related, but not COVID-related. Sadly, I will have to talk about this, but hopefully it'll be information that keeps you and all the people you know safe. But sorry to basically not follow the purpose of the whole podcast. The variant was discovered in South Africa and is now spread to other countries such as Belgium and Israel, sadly causing travel restrictions, which I'm affected by, and I'm sure a lot of other people are too, across most of Europe, Asia, and North America. This new variant is called the Omicron variant. It carries a lot of concerning mutations that can make it more transmissible, or even worse than the Delta variant, say the public health experts. The WHO, or the World Health Organization, called the Omicron the variant of concern. Don't be too concerned though. 
The WHO called it that because it may actually increase the risk of reinfection in relation to other variants. Scientists have barely begun to examine Omicron's threat. Fewer than 100 of the variants' genome sequences have been found about globally, compared to Delta's more than 2.8 million sequences. We don't know that too much about the virus though. What we do know is that it has a really large list of mutations, and the concern is that when you have as many as this virus has, it can actually have an impact on the virus's plan of attack, or its behavior. It may take a few weeks or a few months to understand what impact the actual variant has at the moment. Sadly, South Africa has been hit with about, according to data from November the 9th, the cases rose from 275 cases per day to 3,700 cases per day, according to John Hopkins University. So far, scientists have been able to investigate 32 individual mutations on the virus, and this combination makes it really easy for us uh, for it to penetrate our cells. The combination is also very strong together too and works in synergy. We don't know much about them at the moment, however, but more or less, these mutations shouldn't need you to panic so much, as the viruses are currently ongoing testing with the experiments of lots of new vaccines and current ones. But with current restrictions, you will be safe. The virus with the same restrictions is actually spreading almost one-fourth slower than the Delta variant. Viruses always evolve and pick up variations. It's a part of their life, but we shouldn't tremble at this fact. I hope all of you stay safe. Anyway, moving on from that, a bit of good news. The sticky leaves of a native Australian shrub used by its first peoples as a medicine has found to certain compounds. It has, it has a few certain compounds which actually assist with cancer treatment. Extracts of resin from the species, which once again, I can't say the species name, appear to stop cancer cells by putting out medicine anatomically through a thing called efflex pumps. But the extracts themselves take away the defense some of the cancer cells have to spit treatments like chemotherapy, just like that out of their bodies. For thousands of years, this resin from this family of plants translates to literally desert loving. It's been used by people in smoking ceremonies before to boost help or help with skin conditions, which it actually does do. We have very recently been given the tools to study these plants further in a world with technology like this. Today, drug resistance in tumors is a huge obstacle. Like chemotherapy and antibiotics, researchers are being forced to search more broadly for new medical avenues. We actually already have products that simulate this efflux pump, says botanist from the University of Copenhagen. They don't work optimally, however, because they aren't specific to certain cancer cells. Just as every other cancer cell, they're all different from each other, and they can have a lot of side effects and dependence of that cancer cell. This flower was a very promising candidate though, not just because of its resin, but also its flavonoids. Flavonoids are a type of plant compound that have been shown to inhibit transporter proteins. These transporter proteins pump medicine out of the cell. These compounds are also non-toxic and have a high chemical diversity, and they have very promising bioactivity too, suitable and valuable to clinical use. These plants in specific show anti-diabetic, antiviral, antibacterial, and anti-inflammatory properties. We barely scratched the surface of this plant, but it seems very promising and very interesting. Anyway, over to you, Nate. Hey everyone, I'm Nathan, and I am a guy with coherent time management skills, and I'm totally not reading something off of a script I wrote a few hours ago. Now that I have your trust, let's get started.
Recently, an unusual form of parental care in plants has been captured in an exceptional amber deposit from around 40 million years ago. It's so rare that it has only been reported once on Earth. Inside of this amber is a beautiful fossil of an ancient pine cone. Some seeds can still be made out when looked at closely as well. What makes this so unusual is that the seeds are already germinating with greens budding before their cone has even given birth. See, normally pine cones fall to the ground and open up when the climate starts to get warm and dry. The seeds will then be released into the soil where they will germinate on their own. The germination of seeds and the growing of seedlings while still within the parent plant, in this case, the pine cone, is called precocious germination or seed viviparity. This is usually only seen in flowering plants, and even then, it's still extremely rare, occurring in less than 0.1% of species. So it's almost non-existent with gymnosperms like the pine cone. That's what makes this amber fossil so special. Scientists have seen this phenomenon happen once before in 1965. In a single Himalayan pine cone, researchers saw the same germination of seeds. They couldn't figure out why this happened, however, although some scientists suspected frost or cold conditions kept the pine cone from opening and releasing its seeds, meaning that the seeds stay in the cone where it's warm and cozy. Biologist Joy George Poinar from Oregon State University explains, and I quote, Seed germination in fruits is fairly common in plants that lack seed dormancy, like tomatoes, peppers, and grapefruit. And it happens for a variety of reasons, but it is rare in gymnosperms. The amber in this case comes from the Samlin Peninsula in Russia. The exact date that it comes from is not clear, but it seems to, has, to have probably been formed sometime between 30 to 60 million years ago, during the late Eocene or early Cenozoic periods. Though despite all that time, the pine cone is in pretty much perfect condition. At the tip of each sprout, uh, researchers can see clumps of tiny pine needles. Because these needles are clumped together in groups of five, authors think it is probably related to an extinct pine cone found in the same amber source called Pinus sembrifolia, to give it its scientific name. Unlike other examples, this pine cone in particular sticks out. It's the only fossil record of precocious germination among plants. George Poinar says, and I quote, that's, that's part of what makes this discovery so intriguing. Even beyond that, it's the first fossil record of plant viviparity involving seed germination. I find it fascinating that the seeds in this small pine cone could start to germinate inside the cone, and the sprouts could grow out so far they perished in the resin. Of course, that's only a possibility, and is not yet clear if the embryo bursting through the cone germinated before or after it got encased in the amber. These are, however, cases of some movement still happening, after an organism gets encased in amber, like, like parasites trying to flee from their doomed hosts. Under a microscope, the roots in the pine cone can be seen protruding, and they seem to be covered in a thin cuticle. Authors say that this could have kept the resin from the amber from killing the plant. This first fossil re record of seed viviparity in plants shows that plant viviparity existed in gymnosperms during the Eocene, says Point R. This condition probably occurred much earlier in vascular plants, and there is no reason why viviparity couldn't also have existed in spore-bearing plants like lycopods and ferns dating back to the Devonian. Maybe one day we'll see some embryos of those plants too, in which case, I'll be writing about it. 
Let's face it, diabetes is no joke. Your pancreas doesn't release enough insulin as it should, and your body is like, oh crap, I don't like that about it. But there is possibly a new technique capable of using human stem cells and converting them into insulin-producing cells on the rise. It could hold huge promise for diabetic treatments in the future, if results that have been observed in mice can be replicated with humans. A 2020 study found a new way to take human stem cells and convert them into pancreatic cells that make insulin, and when those cells were transplanted into mice with an acute case of diabetes, their condition was cured. Biomedical engineer Jeffrey R. Millman from Washington University says, and I quote, The mice had very severe diabetes, with blood sugar readings of more than 500 milligrams per deciliter of blood, levels that could be fatal for a person. When we gave the mice the insulin-secreting cells, within two weeks, their blood glucose levels had returned to normal and stayed that way for many months. Stem cells are pretty much blank cells with the ability to grow into different kinds of cells that exist within the body. Using that potential in the context of someone with diabetes means that researchers could devise ways of making stem cells become the insulin-producing cells that diabetics lack. This can help them control high blood sugar and keep them healthy. In fact, scientists have been looking for ways of doing this for years, with incremental successes being reported in animal models as our understanding of the processes needed for stem cell manipulation gets more and more refined and detailed. The lab of Jeffrey Millman has also been busy lately. In 2016, they found a way to produce insulin-secreting cells from patients with type 1 diabetes that worked as a response to glucose, and a few years later, they learned how to augment the level of insulin produced in stem cell-derived pancreatic beta cells. In this work, they also dealt with another challenge, reducing the amount of off-target cells, or when a stem cell becomes other kinds of unwanted cells. A common problem when you're trying to transform a human stem cell into an insulin-producing beta cell, or neuron or heart cell, is that you also produce other cells that you don't want, says Millman. In the case of beta cells, we might get other types of pancreas cells, or liver cells. While these cells aren't harmful, they're not functional for purposes like glucose control, which ultimately limits the remedial impact of stem cell treatments, given, given you're working with less therapeutically relevant cells, as explained by the researchers. Though, a recent technique looks like it can keep the differentiation of cells on target. In the previously mentioned 2020 study, the team found that the transcription factors that drive stem cells towards becoming pancreatic cells are linked to the state of the cell's cytoskeleton. The cytoskeleton is a support structure inside of a cell. It's kind of like a cell skeleton, hence the name, and it's made of, of various protein fibers and microfilaments. One of these proteins is called actin. Actin plays an important role in cellular function, and conveniently enough, cell differentiation as well. Authors have explained, and I quote, we found that manipulating cell biomaterial interactions and the state of the actin cytoskeleton altered the timing of endocrine uh, transcription factor expression and the ability of pancreatic progenitors uh, to differentiate into stem cell-derived beta cells. Basically, by controlling the actin cytoskeleton, we can more efficiently ensure the production of insulin-producing cells, and the ability to do that bodes well for future stem future stem cell treatments. We were able to make more beta cells, and those cells function better in the mice 
some of which remained cured for more than a year, explained Milman. The control animals who weren't given the cell transplants ended up dying because of how severe the diabetes was. As it turns out, the same cytoskeletal manipulation also showed some potential to control the differentiation for other kinds of cells, such as stomach or intestinal cells. If so, the technique might make stem cell treatments more viable for other kinds of pathologies, and not just diabetes. And while the results are promising, we can't get too ahead of ourselves. Since this method has only been tested in animals, and this has been, em this has been emphasized largely by researchers, this is still an experimental treatment, and we're still a long way off from being able to heal people with it. But with these discoveries, it could point the way to a better future for, all sh for our species. And that's it for this week's episode of Mindblown. Tune in next week for more cool science facts.